Though the tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, in the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness, I'll dance in the shadows, I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is see you with my eyes let faith arise to you when I cannot feel your hand in mine let faith arise to you God mercy and love I will praise you Lord oh you shine oh you shine with glory Lord of light I feel alive with you in your presence now I come alive I am alive with you and there is strength when I say I need you 
my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Welcome them to Word of Life Chapel.
Have you ever been in the right place at just the right time? We came back from a fishing trip a few weeks ago, and I know at one point uh, on that trip, uh, we found ourselves, and I was sharing with some of the men before the service started this morning, uh, about being in the right place at just the right time. It was a place where I caught quite a number of fish without having to even move the boat. We had been there a few times before that, uh, in that week, but on this particular day, uh, the fish were just biting. And so we were there at the right place at the right time. Now some would say, well, you had good fortune or uh, you were very lucky. Maybe. Have you ever been in, the, been in the wrong place at the wrong time? Uh, many of you living in this area, you've hit a deer or two or three or more. I remember one time I was leaving a board meeting. This was probably 20 plus years ago when we still lived in Millersburg. And as I got outside of Halifax, I saw over on the left-hand side in that big field just before you come onto the highway, this deer. And I slowed down. I was able to slow down enough that when he hit the car, and he, he really did literally hit the side and bent the side mirror, um, he was still able to run off because I wasn't going that fast. I often wonder, you know, if the board meeting had just gone a little bit longer, just a little bit shorter, just by seconds, it could have been avoided. Bad luck? Fate? You know what's interesting? In the Bible, there are 800,000 words. 800,000 words. 12,000 different words used in the Word of God. And there's one word that is never included. And it's the word luck. Or lucky. It's almost as if God doesn't really believe in luck. It's almost as if God really does plan out his purposes. Now we looked last week at Ruth chapter 1 and some would say that Naomi was pretty unlucky. You recall the story when her husband Elimelech took them to Moab about 50 miles east of Bethlehem. There was a famine in the land, and so they decided to run away from it. And when they found themselves in Moab, it appears as though God divinely judged them for not trusting him and staying in place. Elimelech dies. Their two sons die after, after marrying Moabite women. And some would say at the end of chapter 1, boy, she was really unlucky with all that took place. But then we come to chapter 2, and we're going to look at that this morning, where everything changes. Everything changes. And some would say, boy, Naomi's pretty lucky in chapter 2. Is it luck? Or is it providence? Is it luck? 
or is it providence? If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 2. I've always loved both Esther and Ruth, uh, these little books uh, about women. And um, we want to read chapter 2 of Ruth. Follow along with me, please, as I read. Now Naomi had a relative on her side, on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, she offered, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her, glean, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what had been left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? 
Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the harvest, until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. All of a sudden, things changed for Naomi and Ruth. We might say they were pretty lucky. Or, is God working in this situation to bring about his plans and to bring about his purposes? Well, as you know, uh, the Bible does not speak about luck and chance and accident. The Bible speaks about the providence of God, that God does have his hand in the history, in the glove of history. So let's look at chapter 2, and I find four things that clearly point out the fact that this is providential, that we're not talking about being lucky, we're not talking about chance or this is just a coincidence, we're talking about the hand of God planning his purposes in all of this. The first word is the word people. People. It begins this way, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative. Naomi comes back to Bethlehem with Ruth, and she just happens to have this very, very close relative by the name of Boaz. And all of a sudden, he comes on the scene just in time. And it says that he's a man of standing. Literally means he's a man of, of mighty strength. And then the question is, uh, what strength is being talked about? Well, most believe that there's several things involved here. He's probably a man of great strength when it comes to finances. He's probably a man of great wealth. He might be a man of great strength physically. Uh, it might be that his reputation in the community is a strong reputation. That when men think about Boaz, they think highly of him. Uh, he's a man of great strength when it comes to character. So all of these things, I believe, describe this, this man. Here we find Boaz, someone who's very rich, very successful, a man of great integrity, and a man who loves God. Well, it doesn't get any better than that, especially in the midst of Israel at this point in time. Remember in chapter 1, it spoke about this story taking place within the time frame of the judges, a time when Israel's morality was at an all-time low. 
at a time when people were doing what was right in their own eyes. This was at a time when no one knew what was right or wrong. They just did whatever felt good. And at this time, we have this man named Boaz who shows up on the scene. He stands out, marked by distinctive character, marked by integrity, in a world that's filled with corruption and immorality. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world. I like as one translator states, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. It would have been very easy for Boaz to be squeezed into the mold of all those things going on around him. But Boaz chose a different route. He chose to go against the current in his day. Not only that, but we read at the end of this chapter that he was a kinsman or guardian redeemer, a very close relative to Naomi. Now, we're going to say more about that word kinsman redeemer in the next couple of weeks. But redemption is a key concept in the book of Ruth. Boaz, we're going to discover, is a type of Jesus Christ. Boaz, at the end of the book, he's going to fall in love with Ruth. He's going to uh, redeem her and take her as his wife. Jesus, our Redeemer, loves us. He has paid a price and bought us out of the marketplace, and he makes us his bride. Boaz is a wonderful type of Jesus. Boaz is going to redeem Ruth as Jesus has redeemed us. I said when we started this book, I said that it's a love story, and it is a love story, because salvation is a love story. We read in the Bible that greater love has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. Jesus loved us and laid down his life for us. That's redemption. And Boaz is going to fall in love with Ruth and redeem her. Here is Boaz talking, talk about the, being in the right place at the right time. Boaz shows up on the scene. Now Naomi has a relative. Luck (laughs) or providence. But I see another word in this chapter. It's the word plan. In verse 3, it says, So she, Ruth, she went out and she entered a field, and she began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out... She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Here are two widows, Naomi and Ruth. Two widows have no husbands to support them. They have no income. They have no food. They are flat broke. The cupboards are bare. And now they come to Bethlehem. Naomi just happens to have a relative named Boaz, who is rich, 
successful, and loves God. And now Ruth comes to Naomi and says, allow me to go out into the field and glean. Now, what does glean mean? Well, gleaning in the days of the Bible uh, was, we might say, God's welfare system for the poor and the needy. God loves poor people. God loves those who are needy. And so God set up a system whereby widows and the poor and the needy were able to support themselves. And God actually established a law, and I want to read uh, some of that law. Uh, We read in Leviticus chapter 19 these words. uh, And remember, this is not a suggestion. This is not an option. This was law. This was something that the harvesters in Israel were required to do. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not, remember this is law, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Now over in Deuteronomy, there's another verse and it says this. When you are harvesting in your field, And you overlook a sheep. Do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, for the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. What is being said here? Well, God says to those who go through the field harvesting, when you go through the field, don't go all the way over to the edge. And if you drop something by mistake behind you, leave it there. Because behind the harvesters are going to come those who are poor, those who are needy, the widows, and they are to be allowed to gather up anything left behind, and they're allowed to go to the edges of the property and take what is there. This was the law of the land. God's welfare system, God's way of helping the poor and the widows. So Ruth comes to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and says, I want to go and glean. Remember, they have nothing. I want to go and glean out in the field. And notice what it says in verse 3. As it turned out, luck or providence, as it turns out, Ruth shows up. In the field of Boaz. Stephen Davey wrote a commentary on the book of Ruth, which I've been using, and I I like it so much because he really emphasizes the whole uh, concept of divine providence in in so much of what he says. And this is what he says regarding this verse, uh, especially as it turned out. He says that phrase, in the Hebrew language, literally means she chanced, to chance upon the field. Samuel, he says, uh, he believes that Samuel wrote the book of Ruth. Not sure about that, but he might have. Samuel must have been smiling as he wrote the obvious play on words to imply that what the world might consider a coincidence was nothing less than divine providence. There were no lights flashing, no band playing out in Boaz's field. There was no voice that was instructing Ruth. Listen, 
turn this way and go through this gate? To Ruth, it was just an ordinary decision. I think I'm going to go to this man's field right here. I'm going to start to glean over there. To the world, it was blind chance. But the believer, we know better. Our hearts are immediately awed by the wonder of God's silent provocation, the subtle stirrings of the Spirit that moved Ruth's feet through the gate into Boaz's field. And then he quotes Proverbs 3.6, and he says, this is Proverbs 3.6 in living color. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Here is Ruth, who we know in chapter 1 has already acknowledged God. She said to Naomi, I will go with you, and I will, and I will make your God be my God. She's already acknowledged God, and now God is directing her steps. God is directing her steps. You see, with God, there's no such thing as chance. With God, there's no such thing as, as, as fortune or fate. It's all part of his plan. This is all part of the plan of God. At the end of the story, and I hate to give too much away, but most of you probably know the end of the story. This Moabite widow, Ruth, is going to marry Boaz. And they're going to have a child, a son. And Ruth is going to become, through that union, the great-grandmother of King David, the king over Israel. And even more than that, the ultimate end of the genealogy that comes through Ruth is Jesus Christ, the great son of David. Ruth, a Gentile, Moabite, young lady, becomes the great-grandmother of King David. And through David comes Jesus himself. She just happens to find herself in the field of Boaz? Are you kidding me? Is this chance? Is this luck? Or is God directing every step she takes? Clearly, God is directing her path. But there's another word. Oh, no, I have something else I want to read. Let me read this. This uh, is actually a sermon from another pastor who wrote regarding verse 3. Um, he says, it's the providence of God, which is the theme of the book of Ruth, that God sometimes works through his visible hand of miracle, but most of the time works through his invisible hand of providence. And when it looks from the human perspective, like this hungry, homeless girl goes out, looks at a bunch of fields, and says, I'm going to go to that one. It isn't just a lucky chance. It's God's providence. Now, no angel spoke to her. There wasn't an angel to lead her. There was no miracle. Uh, she didn't see a burning bush that said, oh, this must be the right field. She just picked a field. And what looks to you and I like chance, circumstance, or her lucky day is really what we call God's providence. She just happened to be in the field of Boaz. But there's another word I find in this chapter 
It's the word protection in verse 4. Just then, (laughs) verse 4, just then, while Ruth is out in the field and she's gleaning behind the harvesters, just then, Boaz arrives. Lucky Boaz. He just shows up at the very time in which Ruth is out. Just then, Boaz arrives from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. They answered. The author, I believe, is just screaming at this point. Don't you see? Can't you see the hand of God in all of this? Can't you see how how God is bringing about his purposes through this great plan? And so just then Boaz, at the exact right place, at the exact right time, he shows up at his field. He looks out into the field. And he notices someone, someone he hasn't seen before. Now, Bethlehem is a pretty small village. Some believe there might have only been about 200 residents in Bethlehem. So everybody knew everybody. He knew all about the situation with Naomi, about how she came back and didn't want to be called Naomi, but wanted to be called Mara, bitterness. She knew, he knew all about what Ruth had done for Naomi and coming with her. But he's never seen Ruth. He looked out in the field and he, he saw the face, but he, he couldn't put two and two together. And so he asked, who is she? And when they told him, that's Ruth. That's Naomi's daughter-in-law. He knew all about what she had done. And so she, he wants to now help her. He wants to help her. And so the first way he wants to help her is he wants to protect her. He says, listen, I don't want you to go anywhere else. Don't go down the road to, you know, somebody else's field. You stay right here. And I'm going to talk to my men. He pulls his men aside and he says, listen, guys, here's this young gal. I know she's cute. I know she's pretty. And, uh, but listen, you will not touch her. You will not touch her. And there seems to be some kind of a sexual overtone to that word touch. Listen, here's Ruth, a foreigner, who came from Moab. I mean, she's really putting herself out there. She could be an easy target of these men. Dangerous situation to be in. in. But Boaz pulls the men aside and says, listen, you will not touch her. He wants to protect her. You stay in this field. And you'll be okay. And she says, Boaz, you, you really did put me at ease. But not only the protection idea, but he wants to provide for her. He's Again, he pulls his men aside. He says, not only are you not going to touch her, but when you go through the field and you have your sickle and you're cutting down the stalks. Now remember the law. What was the law? If you accidentally leave things behind, you can't go back and pick it up. That's for the widows and the fatherless and the poor. Boaz says, listen, guys, I want you to take your sickle and purposely miss some stalks (laughs) so that when Ruth comes behind you, she has a lot more to pick up. I I like what the King James says. It speaks there in verse 4 about, uh, or down in verse uh, 16, about handfuls on purpose. I think it was a man who wrote a commentary on the book of Ruth and entitled it that. I want you to leave handfuls on purpose, not just accidentally behind, but I want you to leave handfuls on purpose 
so that Ruth can come along and be provided. Not only did he protect and provide, but I want you to notice the last word that starts with a P, and it's the word perspective. Ruth gathers up all of the stalks and all of the grain, and she goes back to Naomi. When she goes back to Naomi, she has two weeks' worth of food. Two weeks' worth of food. And this is where the whole story begins to change. Look at verse 19. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Now remember, at this point, Naomi didn't know where she was gleaning. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The man, or the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Can you imagine Naomi hearing that name? This close relative, this kinsman redeemer on her husband's side. Where did you work? In the field of Boaz. Notice Naomi's reaction. Verse 20, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. We have one of the biggest perspective shifts in all of the Bible right here. Remember Naomi when she came back? She wanted to be called Mara. Because she was bitter. She was angry at God. But now, things suddenly changed. The NIV Study Bible says this in a footnote. This moment of Naomi's awakened hope is the crucial turning point of the story. All of a sudden, here is Naomi, who changes from bitterness to blessing, from despair to hope. She didn't see any of this back in chapter 1. She was angry with God when she came back to Bethlehem. She was bitter at God. And, I mean, if we were in her shoes, we probably would be as well. Remember, her husband died, her two sons died, all three in Moab. All she left in Moab was death and graveyards and funerals. And she was bitter. And she was angry. But all of a sudden, there's this newfound hope that Ruth had gone out into the field to glean. She just happened to stumble into the field of Boaz, this very close relative who has protected her, who is providing for her. And all of a sudden, Naomi changes the perspective. You know, it's interesting because back in chapter 1 and all the pain and all the tragedy, it's hard to see God. And it's for us that way today. Some of you are still living in chapter 1 because you're experiencing a lot of pain and tragedy right now. You, you can't see a way out. You, you don't see what the future holds or, or, or where all this is going. And you're in a very difficult spot right now. That storm of life. 
That's where Naomi was in chapter 1. She was bitter in this experience. But she had forgotten something. She had forgotten that God is planning everything for good. You know, Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. All things work together for good. And we don't always see that. Naomi didn't see it in chapter 1. But she comes now to chapter 2 and her perspective changes. She begins to see, oh, I think she's beginning to get it. I think she's beginning to see how, how God is really at work and he really is planning all of this. Now, she doesn't get everything yet, no. I don't think we ever get it all. But she's beginning to see that God's hand really is in the glove of her life. And that Boaz is now going to be the great redeemer. Boaz is going to be the great provider and the great protector. And as I said earlier, Boaz is a type. He's a type of Jesus, our Redeemer. And as Boaz loved Ruth, so the Bible says, Jesus Christ, he loves us. And he loves you. Even in the midst of the pain and tragedies and trials of life, God continues to love us. And the Bible says that God, he really does care for us. Some of you might not feel that right now. Some of you are going through what you're going through. You say, you know, I, I'm not sure where God is in all of this. This is tough. I, I'm in chapter 1. I haven't gotten to chapter 2 yet. I'm living with the pain. And I'm living with the tragedy. And I'm living with this difficult situation and this trial of my life. I just want to remind you, and I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do know this, that when we acknowledge God, He does direct our paths. Ruth didn't know she was being taken right into Boaz's field, but she was because God was directing her path. Don't forget that God does love you and God, God does care for you more than you'll ever know. Maybe you are still back in chapter 1, but I suggest you cast all of your care upon him because he does care for you. We're going to sing a song this morning as we close, Does Jesus Care? I want you to listen to the words. It's found on page 416. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for myrrh and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. And then the refrain, oh yes, he cares, I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Let's stand together, we'll sing this, and we'll be dismissed.
Does Jesus care when my heart is too deeply for myrrh and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress, the way grows weary and long. Oh, yes, he cares. No, he cares. Heart is touched with my grief. When the days weary the long nights, I know my Savior cares. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades to deep night shades, enough to be near. Oh, yes, he cares. No, he cares. Heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, long nights dreary, no, my Savior cares. Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief, my relief, though the tears grow the day long. Oh, yes, he cares, I know. Is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long. <coughs> my Savior cares. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye? To the dearest on earth to me, and my sad heart aches and nearly breaks. Is it aught to him does he see? Oh yes, he cares, I know. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights weary, I know my Savior cares. Father, we're thankful for who you are. Father, we're thankful that you are a sovereign God who sits on the throne of grace, a God who rules and reigns, a God, Lord, who plans and makes sure that your purposes always Lord, come to pass. Father, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to see where things are going. It's hard to understand why we're going through what we go through. And yet, in the back of our minds, Lord, help us to remember that you are a God who is planning all things, that all things really do work together for good to those that love you. So help us, Lord, to acknowledge you in all our ways knowing, Lord, that you direct our paths. You are a great and wonderful God. 
And it's great to be in this place this morning to hear from your word. May your spirit, Lord, go with us from this place. May your spirit, Lord, guide us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Going back and forth.